0: the name of Christ. I want to welcome everyone here and I agree with Matt that after for us it was a couple Sundays being away from you, it is good to be back with you. Um, last Sunday we were at Wilkesbury. It was good to be with them again to worship with them. but just that old saying, it's there's no place like home and that's what we experience here with you brothers and sisters. I appreciated the last song there. Thank you, Brother Ryan. Dare to stand like Joshua. You know, Paul said, that was in our lesson, wasn't it? Follow me as I follow Christ. I think, I know we referred to that um, and we we discussed that a little bit, but I think we can also take an example from Joshua, how he he told the people, you choose who you're going to serve. You're going to have to make that choice. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I trust that, may I look to you as heads of households, that you have made that choice for your house, that no matter what, you will lead your family in the ways of the Lord. And then I was just thinking further, that that is our commitment as a church. As for our body here, we will serve the Lord. Our Sunday School lesson was Maintaining a Faithful Church, I think it was the title. And this morning, I want to look again at another message, thinking of deception, um, thinking of new philosophies that come along, and how I think we can be taken and, and deceived by, by some of these new philosophies that come. and. I was just thinking of the word philosophy, I was looking in the, the dictionary to try to um, give a, a definition of what the word philosophy means. And I'm just going to read the definition that I came up with here, there in the dictionary, which I just kept looking at and looking at and working on for myself. Uh, It was the second definition, A, was the pursuit of wisdom, and B, a search for a general understanding of values and reality by chiefly speculative rather than observational means. And um, I don't know if you all grabbed hold of that, what I read there. Um, It's okay if you didn't, because I'm not going to read it again, because I'm still kind of grappling with that one. But I just, I, I put my own words here, human attempts at wisdom through the lens of humanity. I don't know if that's a fair enough um, definition for, for my small mind. But as we think of new philosophies, I want to bring out at the onset, in Ecclesiastes, the writer said that there is no new thing under the sun. These new philosophies that come around have just simply come around again, maybe in a little different way, maybe not so different. I invite your attention to begin here to Acts chapter 17. New philosophies, new ideas was nothing new. Back in Paul's time here in the, new, the early church in Acts, Act, uh, Paul was here in Athens, and we have that account of how Paul stood on, uh, in, in the midst of Mars Hills, and he referred to their altar with the inscription, to the unknown God. But I want to read from beginning at verse 16, before that part there. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him up unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what what these things mean. Then verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. We're going to stop reading there. So Paul was in Athens seeing their idolatry and it stirred him up. He didn't like to see what he was seeing. It went against um, his faith in God. And and so he, it says he disputed in, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. Now, in verse 21, it says that the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's what they filled their time with, probably their spare time, um, getting together to do such. But imagine a city full of people just trying to outdo each other in something new. Something new to say. Or bring it down to a church level. Imagine a church full of people simply trying to bring up something new. And I, I believe that there is a danger in competing to find something new to, um, to share with others, to impress them. Kind of seems like maybe that's what was happening here in Athens. <laughs> um, first of all, I think it can, can bring a pride as we are trying to impress others with what we have to say but also just the danger of of simply trying to contrive new ideas based on human thinking um, without having the scriptural backing, the Word of God. So, as I mentioned, new philosophies, nothing new. People trying to come up with new things. Now I invite your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 14, says, "...of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself, but unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. believe this is Paul writing and here again, he talks about profane and vain babblings or empty talk or empty chatter, you might say. And he refers here to to two men, uh, the men Hymenaeus and Philetus. And Hymenaeus is possibly the one that was referred to in 1 Timothy 1.20, who along with another man had been, uh, Paul uses the words, had been delivered over to satan. And somehow these men got onto some unscriptural ideas. It says here saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrowing the faith of some. Verse 16 uses the word babblings. Uh, or Yeah, I mentioned about babblings there, but shun, it says, shun or separate from profane and vain babblings. And I had to wonder, where did these men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, where did they get their new and untrue ideas? Um, suggestion was given that possibly from the, the Judaizers uh, were possibly giving some unsound um, thinking, ideas. Um, I'm not sure if it was right here in this section. It was maybe elsewhere that we're looking at. Uh, But possibly the Judaizers were influencing them in some wrong concepts. Uh, But it says here that these men were being eaten as a canker, or uh, I think that's referring to gangrene and to, to eating the dead flesh. But where do you and I have the dangers of getting philosophies that are that are wrong and dangerous? These babblings. A few examples I had to think of. Uh, one is is um, the well the radio or um, speakers that we hear on the radio or on podcasts or whatever it may be. And maybe there's a lot of truth. Uh, but is there some unsound stuff that's coming through that will in the long run affect us? We need to be careful about those things. Uh, social media or reading material or just simply the daily associations, the people we rub shoulders with. I believe in our day and age we are bombarded by voices of unsound doctrine of philosophies that could lead us astray and if we take to these unbiblical philosophies they will take their toll on our spiritual life are there sources of vain philosophies or new ideas that you and I need to shun or to separate ourselves from I believe certainly there are but are there Areas that um, we are aware of where there are some unsound things coming through that we need to cut off. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves and willing to do that. In Colossians 2, 1 through 10, I'm going to turn there now, but we have a valuable concept here, and I know the thought of unity has has shown through a little bit here this morning. Um, Concept for guarding against deceptive philosophies. Colossians 2, the first 10 verses. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgment of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In verse 4 he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now this... What he's referring to, and this I say, uh, is referring to verse two earlier here, where he speaks of of their hearts being comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, being knit together in Christ. And that will bring to you and I a firmness of faith when we are experiencing unity in Christ as a brotherhood. Then verse 8 says, Beware lest any man deceive you. Uses the word philosophy in there. And as I looked into that word philosophy, there was the word, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this quite right, but sophistry, which Webster defined as a subtly deceptive reasoning or argumentation. So beware about the deception, the subtly deceptive reasoning, and argumentation. And as we are knit together in Christ, in unity, together we can beware of the vain philosophies. We need one another to warn and to be warned. We need one another to keep each other on track. And sometimes we may hear the the thought that you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. Just, you know, kind of just make sure we're maybe a little more than just believing something. But I think we need to be careful about that attitude and that we're willing to discuss our differences and our concerns that we share for one another. Another verse I want to look at here, I thought of looking at the passage here, but for the sake of time I think, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at verse 19. Paul, previous to this, is bringing out how he was not sent to baptize. Yes, he did baptize a few, but rather he was sent to preach the gospel. says in the end of verse 18, Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then he goes on talking about, um, the, the foolishness of preaching, how to, to those who are wise in this world, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. Uh, but we preach Christ crucified, he says, unto them which are called both Jew and Greek, those which are called both Jew and Greek, he says in verse 24, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, and talks there then in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. But going back to verse 19, there uh, it is said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And you know how easy it is for us to get sidetracked from the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. Paul was called to preach the simplicity and the truth of the gospel, not The um, adding new concepts and theories and um, things that that can get people sidetracked, but just simply Christ and Him crucified and risen again. This morning, in the remainder of the message, I want to bring up a few, in quotes, new philosophies that um, can affect us um, the first one I have here, you may say, hold on, wait a minute, this may not really apply to us, but I'm going to bring it up. Because um, I, I ac- yeah, well, um, it's the flat earth theory. Um, so there are people who today believe that the earth is flat, okay? Um, I, I hope none of us here do, but um, in the past couple of years, I did hear one uh, of of someone um, not so distance, distant, distant, uh, but it was said. I I don't believe the Earth is round. I'm I'm not really sure what shape. I don't think it's flat, but I don't think it's round either. Okay. Um, And yeah, like I said, there are people, in our, and, and people who, who call themselves Christians who believe uh, that the earth is flat. Now, I, I know reading about Christopher Columbus, he had to try to convince people that the earth is, is round, that if he would sail, um, was it from Europe, that he could sail the whole way around the world and end up where he started out uh, without turning around. So, um, I don't think he proved that, but I think Magellan did on his voyage, Um, at least maybe he didn't make it around, but uh, his voyage was the first to make it around the earth. And looking in the Bible to go to the Bible and and say that the earth is round, um, there were a couple verses that I, I came up with that could speak to that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it talks about sitting upon the circle of the earth. And I couldn't quite lay a a finger on exactly, uh, maybe some of you understand that verse a little more, is that speaking of the globular shape of the earth. But I think as we look at science and what men understand today about science, so, Many years ago, and this was way before Christopher Columbus's time, they understood as you stand on the shore of the ocean and you look out, you know, if water is flat, right? But as you look out across the ocean, you see the curve of the earth looking out towards the horizon. And I don't think it matters which direction you look um, from land that you're going to see that curve of the earth, that it is sloping away, has that globular um, shape. Also, uh, thinking of the consistency of the rising and setting of the sun, and how in in relation to the rotation of the earth and the, the time that there is light on certain parts of the earth, and the consistency there. And another thing that was just, Um, brought to my attention just yesterday, I think it was, was the shadow of the earth on the moon shows that the earth is round. And when we try to deny some of these things that are are plain and obvious, what else are we going to deny? It's important that we reject unsound philosophies. Another thing that uh, a new new philosophy um, that I've been made aware of in uh, more recent, some of you who were at the, the cabin um, with our group earlier this year, be aware of it too, and maybe from otherwise, But the self-care, the self-compassion movement, and Wikipedia, how far you want to take that, but it says, self-care has been defined as the process of establishing behaviors to ensure holistic well-being of oneself, to promote health, and to actively management of illness when it occurs. And you know, in some of these things, um, I think there can be some good in it. Um, I think we would all agree that there is value and wisdom in caring for the bodies that God gave to us. Um, just thinking of here—I don't know, a year or two ago—my uh, children were out. My children and I were out riding bike and. Um, met a man I didn't really know him well and met him a time or so um, and he was out walking and yeah, I just said he's out walking helps his his uh, blood pressure I think it was helps to control that I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I think currently there is an overemphasis on self care on caring um, it, in a to a point that it becomes a selfishness. The idea is to care for yourself so you can effectively serve others. And, you know, maybe there can be some truth to that. And yet, to what extent will we go to care so much for these bodies, which are going to wear out in time, no matter how much we care for them? Um, and Maybe selfishly doing it and missing some of the opportunities to care for others that we could. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28, "Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." You know, as we come to Jesus, as we allow Him and His work, His care for us, for our souls, and serving him, he will care for us and give us the needed rest and attention that we need. Another point I have here, which could go so big, um, and I'm not gonna... um, I guess I'd say there are many philosophies under this that um, many of us can relate to as parents, but is in child training. There are many philosophies that go along with child training. Some years ago, we were told of a, a young couple who had a young child who was not responding to the biblical form of discipline uh, of, of using the rod, of spanking. They used it and it didn't work. And so they were trying to find other ways to work with their child's misbehavior. Some time later, the same person who had shared that with us uh, mentioned that they didn't really enjoy being with that family because of the behavior of the children. And made me grateful for sticking with the biblical form of discipline. And I, I just encourage you to stick with the biblical form of discipline. It may not always work the first time in every situation, but it is God's way, and when we choose God's way, it will work. Just a quick look in Proverbs, um, I looked up the word rod, and I think there were about five times in Proverbs that it spoke of the rod for disciplining children. Adam Clark says, this wasn't necessarily in relation to children, well, I'm not sure Um, on the verse he was saying it on there, but he says, judiciously applied, there is a lesson of profound wisdom in every twig. So, the rod works. It can teach wisdom. It can drive a lesson home to children that many words and many other forms cannot drive home. Another thing is the thing of children needing to express themselves. Let them express themselves. And you know, I think there's some truth to that. Children do need to express themselves. I think the other ditch that we would hear or would have heard years ago, which is is fairly um, obsolete, I think, in our day and age, but is that children are to be seen and not heard. And um, I'm not sure I I totally agree with that. Um, Children do have a voice, but I think they need to um, learn what their limits are, um, to not dominate conversations Another thing that um, we hear, and I, I recognize I am in the younger stages as a parent, many of us are in the younger stages, but is the mentality that we can't force them to do anything. And while, again, there may be some truth to that, you know, ultimately, each child will grow up will have their decisions, their choices to make. We cannot put them into a mold that will say they will turn out and make the choices that they should choose. But I do believe that we can say in our home, in our family, this is the choices we have made. This is how our family will operate. And I believe that that is a part of of parents leading their home and training their children. Proverbs twenty two six: Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is our responsibility as parents, and yes, loving but firm, I think it needs to go together. There is love that can go along with firmness, not harshness, but firmness. As I consider you and I and our choices of how we bring up our family, for some time I've been considering the thought of reaction. And I, I think we contend, at times, to react to our past. Um, we may say, Dad and Mom did it this way. Dad and Mom were not perfect, were they? Dad and Mom are not perfect now either. But we look on some of their failures, Here's how they did it. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it the right way. Um, We're we're not going to make those same mistakes. And we can go into maybe a a reaction of what they have done. And I'm just taking this further. Um, Out of the, the realm of the home... But to the church, all of us have past church experiences, and many of us um, somewhat different from here. And we can have a tendency to react to some of the things that we felt were not as they should have been, where we came from. And I fear that when we function out of reaction that we may go into the other ditch. Um, I think we need to look at things squarely. We need to see the good in the way mom and dad did it, the way, whatever, the other church, whatever, Um, the good in what we had before, and take that good, yes, um, adjust for some of the imperfections, but not just to simply write off our past. Okay, a little bit of a bunny trail there, but um, parents, we cannot guarantee the proper choices of our children. But biblical principles applied to our training will give them the best foundation for the Christian life. I think I referred to it before, but many new philosophies, new as we call it, can have some truth to them mixed with some error. And I guess with that, I'd like to say I think there's danger in building a doctrine out of a philosophy. Out of a, yeah, out of something new that comes along, uh, where we maybe almost reject. Um, some of what we have known, and we simply build on the, what sounds new and good and great. I would also like to say that the Brotherhood is a tremendous—I have the word resource here. I'm not sure I like the word resource here, but um, I'm using it. The Brotherhood is a tremendous resource we have to seek counsel and advice and to learn new things, good things. Um, scriptural things, and to to bounce, to hear each other out on um, things that come along. And ultimately, Hebrews twelve two looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus. And I was... I think it was last evening, I was made aware of the fact that today is Pentecost Sunday um, when the Holy Spirit was sent after Christ's ascension. And as we look to the Holy Spirit to guide us, we're going to know what to do with new philosophies that come along. We won't be swayed with every new wind that comes along. And we'll have a firmness. We'll have a foundation in the Spirit. We'll have guidance. Along with our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we're going to stand for a closing prayer this morning. I realize that um, many of you may be going to the funeral today, so time is a little tight, so we'll stand uh, for a closing prayer and the benediction at this time.